You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 56. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. The Lord said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So today's reading is one that I believe uh, you're quite familiar with, Father, uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I say that because I'm I'm pretty sure this was the uh, subject of your master's thesis. Is that right? Yeah. So so we'll expect to hear some really profound uh, insights on the reading today. (laughs) Well, you're correct that (laughs) my thesis was about this parable. Uh, But I'm not going to disclose the grade I received on that paper, Jason. So don't be so certain that when I share today, it'll be profound. (laughs) Well, all kidding aside, I think we could easily spend multiple episodes on this uh, parable. Uh, But as this is the first time that we've discussed it in detail, would you begin by sharing with us what you view as the most central aspects of this passage? You know, it's interesting what you said about how we could spend multiple episodes on this parable because one of the patristic quotes I included in my paper was from St. John Chrysostom who said, Many indeed even before us have spoken on this parable, and many also perhaps will speak after us, but no one will be able to empty all its wealth. So you're correct. We could spend a lot of time on this parable, but today I want to hit the highlights. And I believe my thesis was around 60 pages of text, uh, so I don't think we have time for that today. (laughs) Yeah, I I remember you telling us in a sermon on this parable, Father, that after your research and writing on this, uh, you could put us to sleep. uh, As happened with St. Paul uh, preaching an axe with the man falling out of the window. (laughs) Yeah, the problem is I'm not convinced I could heal you as Paul healed him. Uh, So I'll do my best not to put you to sleep, but to keep you all engaged. And the first thing that I want to point out is more of the quote that I shared from St. John Chrysostom in that passage where St. John said that we could not empty the parable of all its wealth. He also said that the parable's meaning perhaps is, and I'm quoting here, hidden under leaves, some thoughts still concealed under the letter. Mm. 
It's interesting. Uh, what does that mean about thoughts being concealed under the letter? Well, I'm absolutely convinced after studying the parable in the broader corpus of Scripture that this parable's primary meaning is metaphorical. And that really should come as no surprise. There is a minority opinion, actually, that this parable is a concrete historical story. But I think there's very little support for that. And it would present all sorts of problems I prefer not to wade into today. I did talk about it in my thesis, of course. Uh, but suffice it to say that uh, the predominant opinion among both ancient and patristic or modern scholars is that the story is a parable. And by nature, a parable is metaphorical. So I find it interesting, even perplexing, that people tend to interpret the story more literally. Could you explain a little more uh, what you mean by that? Yeah, what I mean is, is people tend to interpret the parable very literally uh, in the sense that it's a story about monetary wealth and poverty. So they tend to view it as a story about rich people ignoring the poor. And, and certainly there's some legitimacy to that. But I actually think that's secondary, that that interpretation is definitely a broader way to understand the parable, but only as an application of the main meaning of the parable, a meaning that comes from under understanding the parable as it should be understood as a metaphorical story highlighting a deeper teaching. And Father, why don't we hone in on then uh, how you understand this parable and the, the metaphors being used? Well, before that, let me be clear, first of all, that I'm by no means the only person to have proposed the interpretation that I'm about to share. What I'm saying actually has patristic support. Uh, the biggest difference, I believe, is that their approach to the parable tends to see this interpretation that I highlight as secondary, whereas I'm arguing in my thesis, and I truly believe that the metaphorical understanding is the primary meaning. And I really doubt we'll have time to get into it today, but in my thesis I highlight many of the problems both patristic and modern scholars run into by viewing the metaphorical teaching as secondary and not primary. Uh, for example, I, I encourage our listeners to read uh, verses 14 through 18 of this 16th chapter of Luke, the verse that, in my opinion, uh, introduce the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Because if you don't understand the parables the way I'm going to present it, then these verses are very strange, and no one can really say why they're there. In fact, and I find this quite humorous, actually, uh, some of the modern scholars conclude that Luke just jammed these verses into this section because for some reason he felt he had to use them and didn't know where else to put them. And why do you find that so humorous? Well, because if you examine what they're essentially saying, they're saying that Luke is the one with the problem and not them. In other words, because they can't make sense of the verses, they blame Luke and not themselves. And I just, I don't accept that approach. One has to assume, I think, that Luke knew what he was doing and didn't just cobble some verses together because he had nowhere else to put them. And then, it, you know, he just rams them in somewhere randomly. I mean, that presents uh, a great author, Luke, as though he's some sort of elementary school kid who has an assignment where he has to you know, use certain sentences, say certain things, and he doesn't know yet how to write well, so he just puts them in randomly. No, I d there's just no way in my mind that Luke did that. Luke did what he wanted to do, and he did it for a reason. And I show in my thesis how these verses make sense when you understand the parable metaphorically. Okay, Father, I'll, I'll try again. Hopefully this time we can uh, get straight to the point. <laughs> <laughs> how do you explain this parable from a metaphorical point of view? Again, I'm not the first to say these things. Uh, but in my thesis, I cite, among others, Blessed Theophylact, a well-respected patristic scholar, uh, cite Gregory the Great, 
uh, Archbishop Richard Trench, an Anglican bishop of the 19th century. But again, unlike them, I conclude that this metaphorical meaning that they ascribe to the parable is the main meaning of the parable, which is as follows. Uh, the rich man in the parable represents the Jewish religious establishment, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, the people who are religious and who are accepted by that Jewish religious establishment. As Blessed Theophylact said, these people are clothed in purple and fine linen, having both kingship, which was represented by the purple, and priesthood, represented by the fine linen. Uh, so in other words, they have the law and the prophets, scripture. They have all that is necessary to know and to live God's will. They are therefore spiritually wealthy and rich. And by the way, this is why at the end of the parable we hear Abraham say that the rich man has the law and the prophets. If he won't listen to them, neither will he listen if one were to rise from the dead. And as I've said many times, Jesus is not preaching so much anything new, per se. He's simply giving the authoritative understanding of what we call the Old Testament scripture. That's interesting, Father, this idea that the rich man represents the Jewish religious establishment, which was obviously so regularly condemned by Jesus throughout the New Testament. What about the other characters in this parable? Who do they represent? Lazarus represents the Gentiles, and one may even more broadly say that Lazarus represents both the Gentiles and the Jewish outcasts. In other words, all of those who were outside that Jewish religious establishment, all those who Jesus defended and cared for throughout his earthly ministry, they were literally just outside the gates, as we heard in the parable of the Jewish religious establishment, the rich man in this parable. They were ipso facto ritually unclean, as signified by the dogs licking their wounds in this parable. The Jewish outcasts were part of the broader Jewish society and were quite looked down upon. The Jews at the time of Jesus were surrounded by Gentiles. In fact, other Messianic figures were concocting plans to overthrow the Gentile Romans who occupied Jerusalem, whereas Jesus takes this different approach. Rather than conquer them through the sword, lovingly and peacefully bring them into the community under the one God of all. And I should further note that Lazarus' name means God is my help. And this, of course, is the teaching of Scripture as the way to salvation, confessing your own unworthiness, your own unrighteousness, and relying solely upon God as your helper. This is how the Gentiles and the Jewish outcasts were brought under God's covenant, not because of their own righteousness. And it's the reason the Jewish religious establishment found themselves on the outside. They thought the wealth they had from possessing Scripture was sufficient. But no, this is not the case. They needed to share that wealth with the outsiders and not hoard it for themselves. So it sounds then, Father, like the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is sort of a microcosm, a summation in a sense, of the entirety of the gospel the essence of the gospel teaching. Yeah, precisely. And to take this a step further, you have this ancient tradition of the apostles being referred to as angels. Now, the meaning of an angel is to be a messenger. And that's what the apostles were. They were messengers of Christ's gospel. And notice what the angels do in this parable. They come and they take Lazarus, again, the Gentiles and the Jewish outcasts, and they bring them into Abraham's bosom. And why is that significant? The significance is that it brings us back to the beginning, back to the book of Genesis, where in chapter 17, God renames Abram Abraham and tells him that he will become the father of many nations. And as St. Paul argues throughout his writings in the New Testament, 
The Gentiles become children of Abraham by calling upon God as their helper. Again, the meaning of the name Lazarus. By believing in God, which is what Abraham did, he believed in God, and it was accounted to him, to Abraham, as righteousness. And so this is how the outcasts are brought into the community of Abraham. It's how they become children of Abraham and thus children of God, by calling upon God alone as their helper. So this parable shows the Gentiles and the Jewish outcasts as being brought under God's covenant, becoming children of Abraham, whilst the Jewish religious establishment finds itself on the outside because they would not share the riches of the law and the prophets, the riches of the scriptural message with the nations, and with those in their own ethnic community that they despised. This has really been a, a fascinating discussion, Father. So one last question to conclude today. Is there anything to be said about the fact that the rich man lived a life of wealth and luxury versus Lazarus, who suffered greatly on earth uh, in relation to their final state? Yes, of course, there's meaning to that also, and it's a common biblical theme, a motif, that those who are blessed by God materially would share with those who have little. But this is where you also have problems with the more literal interpretation of the parable. And why is that? Because the parable never says that Lazarus is righteous. There's no reason to assume that every poor person is automatically righteous or will be carried away by the angels. And when you take a more literal approach, that's essentially the conclusion that people come to. And likewise, not every rich person is evil. Now, obviously, it's completely uh, problematic when the wealthy do not share with the poor, and even more so when they look down their noses at them. But getting back to what I mentioned earlier, this is where my primary interpretation of the parable as metaphor helps to resolve the placement of verses 14 and 18 that I said introduce this parable. Okay, so perhaps uh, you can uh, quickly explain that to us. Yeah, so in my thesis I explain more fully, but today I'll especially highlight verse 18, perhaps the most confusing. Verse 18 says, and this again is the verse right before the parable begins, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And at first glance this verse has absolutely nothing to do with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, nor the preceding parable of the unjust steward. And that's why scholars get confused and think that Luke just put it in there randomly. But there is, in fact, a connection to the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Father, I definitely see how that verse seems disconnected. So how do you understand it as being connected to this parable? In verse 15, Jesus uses the word abomination, a very specific word for that uh, That comes from Hebrew, that biblically is used for three things. In Isaiah, it's used to describe sham or fake outward worship. In Deuteronomy, to describe immoral financial dealings. And again, in Deuteronomy, in reference to remarrying a divorced wife. So essentially, the word abomination connects idolatry, the improper use of money, and divorce. So with this connection, verse 18 complements the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus is condemning that fake, that sham outward worship of the Pharisees by joining that abomination with the immoral financial dealings that we hear about in the parable and then introducing that parable with a saying condemning the remarriage of a divorced wife. So from this perspective... Verse 18 sharpens Jesus' attack in this parable and reiterates that the path 
chosen by the Pharisees, the path of excluding the spiritually poor Gentiles and Jewish outcasts, is an abomination in God's sight. Thank you, Father. Today's episode explored the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. While there is much that could be said about our reading today, we spent our time primarily discussing a few key points. First, this story is viewed by some as an actual historical event, while others view it as a parable which, by its nature, is metaphorical. On the surface, this parable is about wealth and poverty, about the rich ignoring the poor. Certainly, this understanding can be applied here, but it should be done so only as a secondary application. Father Aaron argued that there is much more to this story and highlighted a deeper understanding, one that is best viewed as the primary teaching of the parable. The rich man represents the Jewish religious establishment, who have the law and the prophets, and are therefore spiritually wealthy. Lazarus, on the other hand, represents the Gentiles and the Jewish outcasts, who were outside the Jewish religious establishment and were ritually unclean. Those within the establishment thought that the wealth they possessed was sufficient, but in hoarding it for themselves they found only condemnation. Furthermore, we see the angels coming to Lazarus and bringing him to Abraham's bosom. Here the angels are the apostles, the messengers of the gospel. And in calling upon God, as did Abraham, the Gentiles and Jewish outcasts are brought under God's covenant. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.